The nagging. Naturalist. It's the Nagging Naturalist Podcast. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Nagging Naturalist Podcast, a podcast that's all about wildlife. I'm your host, Kristen, and I'm a naturalist by trade. My opinions on this podcast are my own, and I do not speak for or on behalf of any organization, facility, or institute that's, me- <laughs> that's mentioned on my podcast. This month, I'm trying to shake things up a bit, as March 10th is National Wildlife Rehabilitators Appreciation Day, so throughout the month of March, I'm going to be highlighting common animals that find their way into rehabilitation centers and looking at ways that we can reduce human-wildlife conflict so that less of these animals hopefully end up in these centers. Today, we'll be discussing the Virginia opossum, and I have a special guest with me, and I will be having a couple of guests with me throughout this month discussing their experiences as wildlife rehabilitators and things that they try to help people learn in order to reduce that impact on wildlife. So let's go ahead and jump on into today's episode. All right. And so joining me today is Jessica Anderson. She works as the rehabilitation program manager at the Blue Ridge Wildlife Center in Virginia. And she's going to be uh, ranting and raving with me about Virginia possums, opossums. Do you say the O? I say the O mostly because I like to differentiate between, you know, the Australian and the, the American ones, but it could go either way. Yeah, I find it interesting too that the Australian ones ended up with the American, well, the Native American term attached to them. Cause usually over, and I've, I had actually just covered Australian animals last month and I mentioned how they're usually actually pretty good about applying some of the indigenous terms, the animals opossum is an indigenous term and I just find it weird how it migrated across the ocean because I'm pretty sure that those those possums came first but um yeah sometimes I find myself saying the o intentionally I do find that like casual conversation it's just possums but yeah yeah, I think you're right I think when I do education I specifically say opossum not that I think most of my audience even knows that there's Australian possums. <laughs> I think I'm just doing it for myself mostly. Like, let me make sure I'm enunciating everything properly so that I sound professional and like I'm smart so that nobody doubts me. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it doesn't help too that at, at my work, we call them VA ops. So we kind of always put that emphasis on the, the O. So they're just little ops to us, little posses. That's cute though. I like that. <laughs> Let's see if I can uh, charge through these scientific names. I mean, the first ones aren't too bad. We're of course in the animal kingdom and phylum chordata. So animals with vertebrates and bones, uh, class mammalia, um, order Didelphiomorphia, which is basically just all the American marsupials. And in preparation for this episode, I was shocked to learn, like we talk all the time about like, the possums like North America's only marsupial which is technically not true it is definitely the U.S.'s and Canada's only marsupial it's not technically especially if you count Central America as part of North America it's not technically the only marsupial of North America and I didn't know there was like over a hundred of them yeah oh like possums have done so well for themselves in terms of like evolution and migration and like spreading out you know obviously having them across the entire world over in Australia Um, but it it was definitely eye-opening when I started looking into the background and the evolution evolutionary history of them 
and just also finding out that most of them really haven't changed uh, hardly as much either since they really kind of like the Virginia possum has basically stayed the exact same since it became that sort of body uh, type. And they said, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So we'll just keep going, chugging along. They wanted to keep those hips. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like when, when I saw it and it said American marsupials, I was like, oh, is there more than one? I think I remember there being like a common possum as well or something like that. But then I looked at it and it's like, there's like a hundred and like 20 something like <laughs> marsupial species in the Americas over like almost 20 genera. And I was like, holy moly. And I, I went down a rabbit hole. I, (laughs) like you said, like when you do a little bit of the research, it's like, oh my goodness, I had no idea. And so, oh my God. And the, what is it? I think I got lost doing short-tailed opossums and mouse opossums because they're just tiny and they have like the really big eyes and it's funny because I just did my episode on the dibblers last month and the mouse opossums literally look the same as dibblers which are also marsupials I think I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent but I feel like it's worth mentioning (laughs) one of the possums are pouchless oh I didn't brown four-eyed opossum is a pouchless marsupial I don't know if it's the only one but I was just like oh now I have to do an episode on those. Do they actually have four eyes though? Like, or is it so marking? They called, they called a bunch of them four eyes and I couldn't quite figure out why. And my, the best theory I can think of is with a lot of possums, including these guys, they have the dark eyes and the dark, really round ears. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the ears look like an additional set of eyes or something on some of these. It, that's my guess. I couldn't uh-huh. find anything on the common name etymology for some of these species because they're South American and apparently nobody really does a whole lot of research on them. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I'm, I'm, I was curious about that too. And I have yet to find a satisfactory answer as to why they call them four eyes. Huh. Interesting. Um, so before, before I go <laughs> on too much of a tangent, uh, they're in the family Dedelphidae. And then the genus is Dedelphus virginiana. Um, it is the only marsupial that is north of Mexico, but the uh, species, all the, the family of uh, opossums that we're familiar with that they're actually related to uh, range up to a hundred and they don't all look that different either. Like when I looked at pictures of like the common possum that they're related to and stuff, like they don't look that different. It all kind of just looks like photocopies of each other. In some <laughs> cases, they just like ran out of toner for a few of them, but they're all basically kind of the same. So very similar animals, not a whole lot of variation, but enough genetic variation to be designated as different species. And then the term opossum comes from the uh, Powhatan language. And it, from what I could tell, it just basically means a white animal, which is interesting because the only part of them that's white is the face. Yeah. It's not like it's a whole white animal. So (laughs) it was an interesting choice, but you know what? I don't know. Maybe when they first started naming the animals, maybe they have gotten darker over time. I can't judge. True. Uh, their size is typically about 35 to 55 centimeters or 13 to 21 inches in length. And their weight is around two to six kg or 4.5 to 13 pounds. On average, I would say when I see a possum, I usually kind of think of a thick house cat. <laughs> That's usually my impression of them. Yeah. Just um, a low, a low moving, slow moving, very angry house cat. Yeah. Specifically a house cat with hips. That's always my emphasis is <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, I know that to a certain extent, opossums that tend to live under human care tend to be a little bit on the thick side, but even when I've seen like some wild ones, like 
if they're really healthy, they tend to be like a little, just a little bit heavier on the lower end and a little bit more narrow on the front end. And <laughs> I, yeah. I always thought that was funny because people, you know, humans joke about like baby bearing hips, but like opossums are like the definition of baby bearing hips. Oh my gosh. They have the, the baby bearing hips and the baby bearing pouch bones as well. It's so crazy. They have bones specifically to support their pouch when they have babies inside of them. It's wild. Right. Cause they can have quite a few, can't they? Like I was shocked when I read the numbers on <laughs> all the little beans they could have. Oh my God. Yeah. So what is it? It's, they can technically have over 20 babies. Like they can give birth and we'll, we'll talk about what birth like actually means later before I get started. But so they can have up to 20, but they only have 13 nipples. So they can really only support up to 13 babies healthily and like appropriately. Um, there was a rehabber recently this past year who had 14 babies come in in a litter, which is interesting, um, but they didn't have mom. So they couldn't check to see if there were any, like she randomly had an additional nipple or if they were like swapping, but somehow they had a an additional 14th possum in there. So he got lucky. Well, and it's such a strange adaptation too, because when we talk about mammals in particular, we're supposed to have bilateral symmetry. And so to a certain extent, having 13 nipples doesn't sound like bilateral symmetry. No. So <laughs> it's a really curious, and I think I, God, who, oh, it was the Keeper Chat podcast when they talked about the red fox, because red foxes sometimes have uneven numbers of nipples, I think is what they said. I recall correctly I might be recalling it wrong but it's one of those things where like when you hear it it sounds wrong like why isn't this an even number and they have like two perfect rows of nipples like every yeah. other freaking mammal so it's it's that's such a strange adaptation and I'm really curious why they would have odd numbers because yeah. so it it's just, apparently it's in a um and I've seen it a few times and it's never like a perfect sort of horseshoe but it's generally like you have the 12 nipples in this sort of like rough circle and then one right in the middle. So it's like, they were like, well, we've got the space. Like, why not? We'll just shove an extra one in there. So that <laughs> the like, belly button nipple. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. That uh, is so wild. I, I have so many questions about these animals. <laughs> I don't expect to answer a lot of them tonight though. It seems like they're meant to be a little bit of a mystery. <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of joke with people that possums, you know, that, they're kind of otherworldly because of how different they are when looking and comparing them with other mammals. And you're like, why did they develop this way? And why did they, they never evolved or changed or, or got better? They pretty much just said, well, as long as we can make do, <laughs> then that's, yeah, that's as good as we need to do. Well, and they were apparently ahead of the time in the fashion because these guys, I, I, I think, I think I remember my first time getting attached to them was just really looking at their features. And, you know, when you look at an opossum, since we should be moving into the appearance part now, anyway, of course, everybody jokes about like their little fingerless gloves, yeah. how they've got like the naked little like phalanges and stuff. But also when you look at just their leg fur too, usually the body hair is mixed between like white and very dark gray to black fur, but then the leg hair is just straight black. So it looks like they're wearing black leggings or like little black sleeves with their fingerless gloves. And as a total goth kid in high school, like I can definitely relate to the aesthetic. (laughs) Um, So anyway, for overall, 
like I said, most of their body hair is a mix of white and like dark gray to black covering the bulk of their body. They have black fur that covers their short little legs. They have white fur typically covering most, if not all their face, although there is variation in the hair on their face very often. They have black eyes and black ears. They have a pink nose, pink toes and feet, and then a pink tail. But again, that can vary as well between individuals or uh, populations. Um, sometimes they have masks and stripes on their face. I think the stripe down the middle of the forehead is something I see a little bit more common in at least the populations around Maryland to where I have seen some people uh, post pictures further south of ones that have more of like a mask over their eyes mm -hmm. where they have dark gray fur coming down along their eyes and they actually don't have the stripe in the middle. So definitely, oh, hi baby. <laughs> Sorry, I, I love kitties on the cam. That's my favorite. <laughs> He normally likes to just snuggle up in this blanket that I have on me. So he's like, what are you doing? I've got my, my tortie actually joined me on the couch. So now I can keep an eye on her and make sure that she's not making trouble. And she has the cutest sleep too, where she like, she lays down normal like a cat, but then she flips her head upside down while she sleeps. So like her whole body is just laying like normal and then her head's upside down. And I'm just like, you know, I'm sitting here thinking like, why aren't you dizzy? Why isn't that uncomfortable? But you know, cats. Ugh. Um, but yeah. So lots of variation in the face uh, across different uh, groups. Their face tends to start a little broad, then it come and narrows to a long pointed snout. And then their body overall is a little bit elongated. Although, like, as I mentioned a little earlier, a healthy possum can be a little bit rounder uh, in the backside and uh, narrower in the front. So, I mean, overall, most people would generally compare their appearance to a house cat sized rat. Um, which I mean, isn't far from the truth, but I, I personally would rather see an opossum than a house-sized rat if I'm being honest. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> uh, so moving on from their appearance, we get into their range. So they're basically found throughout uh, tempical, 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 apparently I'm fusing words. <laughs> they're found throughout temperate to tropical regions of North America from Southern Canada all the way down to Costa Rica. In the U.S., they are primarily found on the eastern half of the country, and while they can be found along the west coast and parts of the southwest, they are largely absent from much of the habitat in the west. And their habitat preferences are usually things uh, that are uh, related to wetlands, so that's swamps and riparian habitats, but as many of us know, they are super well acclimated to a wide variety of places, including suburban and urban places, which is why we're going to be talking about them today. Uh, their diet is everything. They are extremely, extremely opportunistic omnivores. Their diet will usually vary based on season and whatever's available, but they might eat small animals starting from like insects and worms all the way up to small reptiles, amphibians, and birds. Uh, they eat leaves, grasses, fruits, seeds, tubers, any variety of vegetation. They'll scavenge carrion if it's available. And of course, many of us know that if there is something tasty in your garbage or you leave pet food outside, they will definitely make use of those as well. So literally the definition of an omnivore, if you look up a picture of what an omnivore looks like, you will find an opossum. <laughs> now we're gonna move into reproduction. <laughs> and. I'm going to let Jess take it away because I remember this is kind of how, I think this is why I started following you on Twitter was I found your account and I found your pinned tweet and I was like, she knows about it. 
because I knew about it, but I don't think I had heard about it in the terms you had used. And I thought that was hysterical. And I'm pretty sure that's why I started following you on Twitter. So I, I will admit, um, <clears throat> I definitely didn't coin the, the term space portal vagina. That was not me. That was, um, I think it, Anne uh, Hillborn. Yeah, you credited her in the tweet. Yeah, she, so if, if anybody is really curious about who did it, you can find my, my pinned tweet and scroll down and I have her quote tweeted in it because um, she's kind of the one that I saw that and my mind just sort of like exploded in my head because I was like, wait, they do what? Um, so possum reproduction in general is really interesting. And this is pretty similar across the board for most marsupials in that they have a very short gestation period. Um, and possums can start reproducing generally around five to six months old. So they're very quick. Uh, they mature really quick, but that's also because they have a very short lifespan of only about three to four years. So they really got to, they got to get started uh, pretty quickly, hit the ground running when they're out. Um, so gestation period for possums is going to be about 10 to 12 days, which to me is like, that's outrageous. Like I know people who have leftovers that are older and like have gestated longer in their refrigerators than baby possums. Like it's outrageous. So, <laughs> and the amount that they develop in this time is mind blowing to me because considering placental mammals, you know, most, a lot of mammals have these long gestation periods, especially the larger the mammals, you know, humans and elephants and things like that. Um, because there's just so much that's going on and possums are like, no, give us like 10 to 12 days and we're good. Um, so basically in that 10 to 12 day period, um, you've got these tiny little possum fetuses. Uh, they're about the size, a little bit smaller than a bumblebee and possums also have two vaginas. So males have a, a matching bifurcated penis. And so you would think like two vaginas, two perfectly acceptable methods of exiting the uterus and, you know, coming into this world. But possum said, no, you know what? That's actually not true. I'm going to do something better. And instead of having them just come out of uh, either of those two vaginal canals, they decided we'll just shorten the trip and the connective tissue between the uteruses uh, basically disconnect and the babies crawl through those openings out into the abdomen and down into the pouch. And like, it's so like, like why? Why would anything think instead of going out of the openings I already have, let me just separate this tissue and here are these possums and here they come out. And even better is that these possums have claws, like uh, I think it's deciduous claws because they're temporary. So they grow these claws, they develop these claws that they use to like help swim uh, through this opening um, and helps them navigate the fur and stuff around and into the pouch. Um, and they latch onto a nipple that's inside mom's pouch. And once they do, those claws fall off. So those were just like fake temporary claws to help them climb out of mom's uterus after 10 to 12 days. And then they said, cool, thanks. I've spent all this energy developing these and you guys can go. And so once they grab onto the nipple, um, the nipple actually elongates down into their throat. So it's not like um, a suckling action like you would have with puppies and kittens. It literally is almost like a steady 
stream or like a drop every couple of seconds. And like an IV drip or something. Yes, essentially. Like they're just, they're hooked in and their mouths. So they open their mouths to grab onto these nipples and then their mouths reclose, like the skin and the connective tissue along their jaws and their, their mouth closes together to basically form this latch on the nipple so that why that way while mom is like out traipsing around and like getting into all kinds of things and almost being hit by cars these babies are hanging from her abdomen inside of her pouch you know they're they're secure they're not falling out if she has to run somewhere um and we do occasionally get baby possums that have unfortunately you know one or two that fall out but mom has the rest of them she was able to escape um, and able to take care of the rest of, of the whoever's in her pouch. So it's very cool. They they basically just continue their development once they're in the pouch. So unlike again, placental mammals who are going to do all that development inside the womb, um, possum said, why? <laughs> they were like, why do it on the inside when we've got this perfectly amazing like oven on the outside and we can just keep baking them there. So to me, possum birth is very it depends on what you consider birth. You know, is it birth when the babies leave the uterus and enter the pouch or does the pouch now be considered an external womb when they're still developing? Are they birthed when like they can actually leave the pouch and they start leaving the pouch and kind of exploring around? It's really sort of depending on how you look at possums to, to figure that out. But um, if we go with leaving the uterus, they stay in that pouch for an additional like nine to 10 weeks. So that's a whole other like section of their life that they spend developing in this ex external, this like very moist, <laughs> dark, uh, kind of gross um, area. But mom does, does a good job. She keeps it clean. She monitors them and they just kind of hang on until they get old enough that they can come on out. <laughs> it's wild that they essentially develop like temporary press on nails in order yeah. to <laughs> and they and like you said it's like it's like somebody going here's this perfectly good paved road that I could just like coast on down but let me go off road a little bit and you know take these tires for a spin or something yeah. like just <laughs> that's a perfect like off road pop them off roading to birth <laughs> I mean it, it's that's all I heard was, was like they literally have this perfectly good path they could take but they just like I'm gonna off-road it right now and uh you know take my four-wheeler for a spin or something <laughs> Yeah. And the wildest part is so whatever, like wherever that, that, um, that opening is kind of being created this, uh, in the connective tissue, it closes after the babies are finished, you know, climbing through and the body reabsorbs any like fetal tissue or any blood or anything like that, um, reabsorbs that and closes completely. Like there's no, you can't find evidence that it was there. You can't find like, there's no scar or anything like that and they do that you know female possums can have depending on where you are up to two litters probably two to three litters in a year um, um so that's kind of being used pretty often and then there's no indication there's no scarring there's no scabbing um they're just like here's this teleportation device for my space portal babies to enter the world so <laughs> It's a wormhole. It's the Stargate. You just dial it up yes. go through the wormhole, <laughs> come out on another part of the galaxy as far as the babies are concerned. Oh, completely oh, different dimension. That is, that is, it is, it is wild. I think I actually stumbled across the opossum information while I was working at the aquarium because while I was at the aquarium, what is it? That paper came out about tinafores, comb jellies. 
and <laughs> somebody had done research and they're like, I don't understand how these guys digestive tract works because literally like they never poop from the same place. And that's when they found out that they had transient anuses that just kind of came and went like a space will open up, the waste will go out, it'll close up and you know, they might poop from somewhere completely different next time. And so I was basically kind of trying to look up like what kinds of other animals might have this kind of adaptation that we've seen before, because in the paper, they put a reference to another paper that I went and explored and they had made suggestions about other animals having an adaptation like this. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. So this isn't necessarily common, but it's not unknown to science. Mm -hmm. And I went down this black hole and I ended up in opossum reproduction where it's like, Hey, they have their babies. The babies don't go down a perfectly normal birth canal. They just kind of like shove their way through the, like you said, through the uterus into the pouch. And they're just like, we're here now. And I was just sitting here like, what (laughs) oh my god and it's really crazy to look at like the history of how people sort of figured this out um and I'm just gonna my favorite little pdf about possums if people are interested it's called the opossum it's amazing story by William John Krause and it's just like this it's free it's free to access you can download and print the whole thing um and it's 88 pages of literally just opossum greatness um but he talks a little bit about the history of when people were, you know, observing possums and trying to figure out, you know, how this came about. They actually thought, so they knew that the male had a bifurcated penis and they would see, you know, mom hanging out and they would see her, you know, kind of put her head down towards her, her pouch and she would sneeze a lot. And they were like, oh, they must mate, the male must mate with the female's nose because, you know, one penis in each nostril. And then she sneezes that, that she like gives birth through her nose into the, into the pouch. And that's how they're born. Cause they would see her later and be like, oh, look, there's babies in the pouch now. Like that's, <laughs> why would we ever think any other way? Um, but then they realized that by the time that they were seeing mom, like sneezing in the pouch that was her cleaning the pouch and kind of monitoring it um and by that time those babies were probably already like three to four weeks old so if we go with the the time traveling space portal vagina as birth but yeah it's just so it's really interesting to kind of see what people used to think and why and how they came to that sort of assumption. I mean, I don't know if I would necessarily assume a different thing. If like, I had never seen a possum before and I just walked up and saw her sneezing in her pouch and then was like, oh yeah, look babies, that must've just happened. Hmm. You know? <laughs> she just sneezes little beans in her, like they incubated in her nose and she just sneezes little beans into her pouch. Yeah, the longer the nose, the more babies she could pull out. So it's fine. She just, just puts it right oh. up in there. <laughs> That's wild. I didn't see that one coming. I. Um... <laughs> I don't really have a response to that <laughs> that's just uh, like I mean to a certain extent I understand that we've had some pretty ignorant views throughout human civilization concerning biology especially when it comes to reproduction although it tends to be human reproduction we've been more ignorant about than others uh, but that is just I'm trying to justify it in my head and it, I, I guess to a certain extent, we obviously have our biases because our understanding of biology, like our basic fundamental understandings of biology that you and I have started out with 
are obviously better than somebody from a hundred years ago studying biology would have. So, I mean, obviously it's hard for us to make these logical connections because we already have an established understanding that was, that is most likely already better than what they were basing their information off of. And to be fair, marsupials must've been really weird because we discovered the Americas, I think before Australia. So technically the first exposure uh, Europeans had to marsupials would have been uh, the American marsupials. So, you know, they had no other animals to base these off of, no other biology. This was a completely new set of animals. So I guess I can kind of understand to an extent, like why their biology would have been kind of like really strange to them. They're just like, I don't understand what they're doing. They're doing this thing with the pouch. Nobody else does this. Yeah. And so I, I, I guess they just, they went with what they knew. My question is, did they like, did they see something happening with a male possum with a female possum's nose? And they were like, yeah, makes sense. Like, did they physically observe something or did they just see, well, we've got two pen like penises and like the only two holes that we can physically see on this female are her nose. Like if the, if the puzzle piece fits, like that's, is that what they, what they did? Or did they physically see an interaction happening? There's no, I can't find anything that like specifies other than like them just making assumptions. <laughs> so that's fair. Well, and it's one of those things where it's like, I mean, they were pretty familiar with ducks and the, I mean, obviously that's different than a split penis, but still like the duck's corkscrew shaped penis was yeah. still something that was known and understood. So it's one of those things where in my head, I mean, it's kind of like the puzzles that you give kids where it's like fit the square in the square, fit the circle in the circle. Like if they took a female and they dissected her, they would find two uteruses in her and it'd be like, oh man, duh. <laughs> like in my yeah. mind, I feel like there was a really easy way for them to get their answers without making themselves look ridiculous but it sounded like somebody decided to put their it's one of those things where you know how sometimes somebody makes a comment and you just sit there and think you know silence is always an option too you don't always have to share your thoughts with the world scientists back in the day sometimes just didn't know that silence was an option they just felt like they had to write down every thought they had on paper and some no matter how ridiculous and now we're looking back at it like could have just been quiet man could have kept that to yourself and nobody would have thought <laughs> thought any differently of you but nope you went there with the forked nose reproduction thing and it just you said it out loud you yep you said it out loud it's in the universe now and we get to laugh at you for it yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh. Well, let's go ahead and round off the natural history part uh with well actually we've already kind of talked about it which is the lifespan now I, I usually don't have to explain this because usually it's not too crazy but because their lifespans uh can range a bit so typically their average lifespan is expected to be only a year to a year and a half. Now that's taking into account the high mortality of the young, a healthy individual that grows up to be an adult that isn't predated upon, or like you said, doesn't end up being one of the ones that doesn't get a nipple in the womb is more likely to live upwards of more like three to four years. And when they're living under human care, that's very typical. And in some cases there have been recordings of individuals living as long as 10 years under human care. Um, I know that, that was my face too. I was like three to four years to 10 years is a pretty significant jump in lifespan. Yeah. Um, so obviously without predation, a good diet and veterinary care, they can live for a while. Who would have thought? <laughs> but yeah, so not a super long lived animal. And that's, that's the opossum's natural history. 
And we're going to go ahead and stop there on that <laughs> nice and awkward pause of mine. So this episode's obviously a little bit on the short side. That's because the next half of the episode is massive. It's very long. So uh, I wanted to keep this a little short, but also kind of split it in half. I normally split my episodes after the natural history and before all the other parts. So this Friday, I will, I will release the second half of this. And you can listen to the remainder of our <laughs> rantings and ravings about the Virginia possum. For these two episodes, I do cite information from the Smithsonian National Zoo and Animal Diversity Web. If you have any questions or comments about this episode or any other episodes, please feel free to reach out to my email, thenaturalist at thenaggingnaturalist.com, and you can check out my website, thenaggingnaturalist.com. On social media, you can find The Nagging Naturalist on Facebook and Instagram, as well as on Twitter under the handle at nag underscore naturalist. You can leave me reviews on Apple Podcast and Podchaser.com to help support the podcast. If you don't want to wait for another episode and you want to listen to more cool stuff about wildlife, you can check out these podcasts, All Critters Podcast, CritterCast, The Wildlife, Just the Zoo of Us, Animals to the Max, Varmints, Amazing Wildlife Podcast, The Casual Birder, What Are You Podcast, The Songbirding Podcast, Cicada Lounge, Life, Death, Taxonomy, The Strange Animals Podcast, and last but not least, there's also Keeper Chat, which of all of these is definitely a not-safe-for-work podcast. The rest are not so bad, though. Also, if you really enjoy science in general, there are some really great science podcasts out there that either focus on a particular type of science or talk about science in general. Some of it does have overlap with wildlife, and in some cases, uh, these are also podcasts about being in academia as well. So there's Petri Dish, Planthropology, The Bald Scientist, Dear Grad Student, Better Than Human, More Than Just a Scientist, Curiosity Cake, Mad Scientist, What Are You Going to Do With That, Papa PhD, Breaking Math, Curiosity Killed the Rat, The Roots of the Science, That's What I Call Science, and The Scientist Podcast, and that's Scientist with two T's at the end. Some of these are and aren't safe for work, so be sure to double-check if that's of concern. I'm also on a non-wildlife podcast and technically non-science podcast called The Legend of Portalcast, which discusses the world of Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra. So stick around. This Friday, the remainder of this really fun uh, talk will be coming out, and y'all can learn some of the other really cool things that we discussed about the Virginia opossum. <laughs>